0: Welcome to the Gorilla Pastors Podcast, I'm your host Josiah. On today's episode, we pick up where we left off last week, hearing stories of pastors doing subversive ministry. On our last episode, we heard from Regina, who embodies our tenet of having a broad kingdom imagination. If you haven't heard her episode, please go and give it a listen. Her ability to adapt and sidestep a pandemic to continue to do ministry in her neighborhood is worth a listen. On today's episode, we continue yet another story we introduced a few episodes previously, the story of Sean Matson, this young man who grew up in West Seattle and now finds himself pastoring a somewhat traditional church that he actually grew up in. Well, traditional in the sense that it regularly has a worship gathering on a Sunday morning. And we can't wait to share the rest of his story, because today's episode is all about this benevolent orthodoxy, which asks us, the church, what it is that we want to be known by. So won't you join us on today's episode of the Gorilla Pastors Podcast, where we hear about how Sean Matson is doing subversive ministry in West Seattle.
1: noticed was that Christians could not have conversation with each other if they disagreed with one another. It's
2: all about entering into the textured presence of lived lives. And so the, the sanitation of it just broke for me. Like, church can't be
1: sanitized.
2: I always feel like I'm not what people think of
1: when they think of a pastor. I went to school for youth ministry and have now figured out how to do, like, construction work. It's good good stuff. The church
2: is struggling and declining in ways that we've never experienced in the United States and Canada right now. We have to, like, allow ourselves to embrace new ways of being in a place.
0: Insurgent revolutions, i.e. guerrilla warfare, is 20% bullets and 80% blessing the people
2: how do we be eternally faithful like literally like how do we be faithful in a way today that in 20 years people aren't going he was evil
1: why are we so afraid we believe that god is at work in all places in all people at all times that is amazing and that should give us hope
0: We are the Gorilla Pastors. Join us as we explore a world of ministry founded on subversive presence. In a previous episode, Sean shared that he had some issues with his father's approach and philosophy to ministry. As a future pastor, he confessed his temptation to follow the attraction and church growth model which sought to create mini megachurches, with sanctuaries absolutely full to the brim. His ministry journey took him to a different place, and before long he found himself at a crossroads. On one hand, he could continue down the path, trying to create the next Mars Hill in Seattle, but on the other hand was something a little closer to guerrilla ministry, founded on subversive presence. He also realized that maybe his dad was onto something, for those of you who didn't catch part one of sean's story we are chronologically picking up right before he came back to seattle after going to school at northwest nazarene university once again here is
1: sean's story so i'd be i'd be lying uh if i didn't say part of me when i said yes to coming back to seattle i mean there was a part of me that just thought okay I've been dating my girlfriend for seven years, long distance. I just gotta get back in the same city so we can see uh, we can see if this thing's gonna work. And and here, this is great. My the church I grew up in is, you know, they're inviting me to come pastor. I mean, that's clearly the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, and so let's go. And I moved back. And and so this is the thing, as as NNU had begun to kind of center me and help me to ask some of those questions. Uh, once I said yes, one of the first Phone calls I made was to an old buddy who plays guitar, and I'm like, "Hey, do you want to come be the worship pastor? And you could you could do that, and we could start sermon series, and maybe we'll put some lights or some pallets on the back of the, the thing." And I, like, I almost regressed for a couple of years as I was like, "Okay, let's let's gimmick this puppy up, and uh, we'll take this nice small church of thirty or forty, and oh, it's going to be seventy before no time, and then I can't wait for district assemblies to come along." Um, and those first couple of years was just like, what the heck am I doing? I, I was, I was, I was, I was having conversations with people who were facing maybe death or death of somebody in family. I, uh, I was talking with folks about marriage. I, I mean, I was getting ready to preach a sermon every week, and and it began. I know we talk. We, we, uh, we young people sometimes joke about deconstruction and reconstruction, and I, it just began all those questions, uh, and and every week asking myself the question of of okay, do I believe what I'm saying? Is is this good news? Is it uh, asking questions of my own skill sets and identity formation all over again? And and is this really the path I was supposed to take, or did I really just get tired of long distance? Um, and here's maybe the best gift my dad gave, because he had he had been. He had been at that church since 94, and, and, and there were a couple seasons where I think he wanted to walk away but never got the release. Uh, he would just constantly counsel me to, to be myself, show up, do the best, and just remain faithful and stay unless I had the out. And the graciousness of my little faith community was they, most of them, at least, um, stayed with me and gave me, <laughs> they gave me the gift of growing up. Uh, they'd done that once from middle school to young adult, but now from young adult to, to a pastor, to, to a married man, to someone who had kids. And, and so those early years, I mean, I, as I asked the question, I just dove into everything I knew, from friends and colleagues who I knew had gone through it, to books, to podcasts, to, I mean, you name it. I just, I sought out any source I could that would help me Help me enter in and keep going down the path because for me I, I I knew one thing I knew my two marketable skills as much as I thought was I could stay in the church world or I could go back and I could stock gallons of milk and Yo play yogurt at Safeway and that I, I'd already gotten a wife from there I, I I did not want to go back to that world and so I I think that was the benefit of that time of my life is I really didn't feel like I had an alternative I had to stay I had to stay in the work. Um, and so in staying and in asking the questions uh, and in marinating in the thickness of all of that, the, the hope, the, the grief, the, the dreams that didn't come to fruition, the, the baby megachurch that never happened, um, I think my eyes were finally opened. And so it's not so much that like, my church changed or how I'd, I did ministry changed, um, I think I finally had eyes big enough to see that the culture had changed long ago. We just needed to pay attention to it. And, and as I did that, and as I began to get to know my neighbors, and p- p- my wife's a bit of an extrovert, so she began to force some of that. And as you begin to have kids and those kids play, and as I began to connect with, with those around me, I just realized there's a bigger world, and some of my neighbors who were atheists or agnostic, or maybe didn't know what they were, but but didn't didn't outright think I was a terrible person because I was connected to the church. Um, man, their worldview seemed more Christian, and, and I don't even mean that's an insult to the church. Like I deeply love the church, and there's some beautiful people in the church, but like. My buddy Sam, who I met, was an atheist, and I'm like, Sam, you are the most Christian person I know, um, because they were loving, and they were generous, and they were willing to help their neighbor at, at the drop of a hat. And so, I mean, just just that began to to shape in me um, a worldview that was more hospitable and more open and more generous and more loving. At the same time, I was digging in and answering all those questions, and so as so, so what's changed? Maybe for me, in part, it's just I've changed. And, and I've, I've come to this place of realizing that the story we're in is a deeply loving and generous story. And at the heart of the divine, at the heart of God, is this is deeply open, uh, loving, relational goodness. And I, I think my eyes in that, as I walk the journey, my eyes become open that it's not just about growing some institution that gives me the street cred a couple times a year when I go to denominational things, as much as I love my denomination. Um, But that it's about living in this community, in this neighborhood, participating in the life of people who are connected to my faith community and people who, who aren't. I get to participate in that, and, and as I do, seeing the whole thing as holy, like the whole thing is good, and it's good news. And that was the change that that happened in me, but, and, and, and I'll stop after this, but I think as that change happened in me, then I had to realize, okay, how do I now walk that journey with the people that hired me to come pastor them? Um, and that journey took a whole other, what, three, four, or five years, and probably is still happening today. <music>
0: The tension that Sean feels is something that I can sympathize with. As a first-time lead pastor, I often felt like there were those that were in the four walls of the sanctuary who I was responsible for the spiritual leadership of, but then there were those who were outside. The others. Those that I had to justify spending time with. This tension is part of why I am not a lead pastor anymore, but this is Sean's story. As his desire to participate with neighbors' lives grew, Sean's awareness of what they thought of the church was informed by those he spent time with. Here are some of their
1: thoughts on the church. I mean, let's be honest. My neighbor could have cared less in 1994. They, they would have, they wouldn't. We were irrelevant. Uh, we were the ugly building at the end of the block. Uh, And they would have had no concept of what we were doing because at that point in 1994, and I mean, yeah, at that point we're planning a service and everything revolved around the service on a Sunday morning and getting people there and our cool pews and, and all that good stuff. And if it didn't revolve around the Sunday morning, then it certainly revolved around the social you know, encounters we could create midweek or at, at the high points of the year where we could gather people together or the work days or the, I mean, just fill in the blank. The reality is in 94, we didn't know our neighbors. We were too busy doing the church work to know our neighbors. And I think, and I think that's the beauty of of now and we still got we've got a ton of ways to go, but we've tried to slow down our schedule to create space where we can actually participate in neighborhood settings. In part we did a development that forced that because we we did have the ugliest building in the block and and in order to do the development we had our neighbors had to approve it. So we we had to take four years and just walk that process which forced us to get to know them. And in the process we slowed our schedule down, we opened our building up To be a gift to the community even in its ugly state Um, and so we've had art shows there we've done movies in the park we've done play space twice a week where where mom's dads grandparents caregivers come and bring kids in just to tear up the carpet and play with our toys um i mean i mean you name it so so now our neighbors i think would actually say that's that's our community church we don't ever go to a service there which is that's great because now we're neighbors and now we get to know each other and and when life comes calling Um, I might go to their door or they might come to mine because we actually know each other.
0: That shift from being this insular, inward-focused community to being a part of a neighborhood is one that's not easy for rooted, traditional churches to make. And if you missed it, Sean even allowed his neighborhood to participate in having a say in what his building looked like. Half the time we fight over who is on the committee to pick the color in the church, much less let someone who doesn't attend have any sort of control over what our building will look like. In my mind, Sean was the consummate guerrilla pastor I always wanted to join this group. He was already doing guerrilla ministry founded on subversive presence, and this benevolent orthodoxy he was embodying was changing how he did church. Forsaking the numbers in the mini-megachurch, Sean simply chose to be a good neighbor, one that was loving and caring of those who lived around him. I shared my thoughts with Sean, telling him that I thought he basically was a guerrilla pastor doing subversive ministry.
1: His response made me laugh. This is good! This is like, I feel, I've always wanted to feel wanted in the church world. Do we even count ourselves in the church world? absolutely we do do. yeah no I think about I think gorilla. you've been saying the name and so I can't help but think about the the little gorilla glue uh that they sell at Home Depot to do all our construction projects which I know way more about now uh after our development I went to school for youth ministry and have now figured out how to do like construction work it's good good stuff um yeah, gorilla glue, it's sticky. So we'd be sticky pastors. We we actually here's the thing I would say. And it's the beauty of my dad, it's the beauty of being called back or at least dating long distance and feeling like it might be the call. I've now been in a neighborhood since ninety four and and that is sticky and, and so it's place, and, and it's, it's a part of who I am. And, and if I ever left, uh, it's, that's my family. Those are my people. That's leaving the best man of my wedding. It's leaving my wife's best friend. It's, it's, it's leaving people that raised me. Um, and so it's, I think, yeah, I'll be, I'll be a sticky pastor with you all. This is great. With all jokes aside, Sean
0: ends our interview with something very important for us to discuss. This idea of place. That there is something absolutely sticky about the relationships he has with the people he has lived next to for decades. And no amount of programatized ministry will ever replace the significance of those relationships that he has. Even the best smoked machines with amazing lights and a wonderfully modern stage with the best worship band ever could not touch the meaningful impact Sean has on the lives of those around him and vice-versa. That these people speak into each other's lives simultaneously. That it goes both ways and that's what's so beautiful about the subversive ministry that Sean is doing in West Seattle. Despite this, Sean still has those responsibilities those weekly rhythms, those things that we have a tendency to call one-size-fits-all job responsibilities of preaching week in and out. And since my co-host Brian Wardlaw is the one who introduced me to him in the first place, I asked him if he could unpack for us the distinctions in Sean's ministry that allow him to maintain this traditional Sunday morning ministry while still being a guerrilla pastor.
2: Yeah, I think in Sean's story, the, the beauty of what they do is, and I've seen Sean kind of emerge in this way as a pastor, but he's gone from embracing or naming his congregation's quirkiness as his own. So it's kind of naming his own quirkiness, naming his congregation's quirkiness, to naming his congregation's quirkiness within his neighborhood uh, and and therefore saying it, rep, it reflects my neighborhood. Um, and so all of a sudden, it's not a distinction of his congregation, but it's really a distinction of the congregation within a quirky neighborhood. Um, and so I think the farther out you you focus and the more you identify not only just you, just your congregation, but then your congregation in the context of a neighborhood, then that allows then the identity of that congregation becomes more neighborhood based than it is just building based or Sunday morning based. because or church activity-based. Because I think when you have your identity focused on just your congregation, then really it's played out only when you're together, um, which is usually in church activities. So uh, yeah, I think that's one of the main ways. uh, And it it can sound very simplistic. um, And I suppose you have to start naming it before it really becomes real. Um, But I think the more you name it and the more real it becomes, then the more you think, oh, what does my neighborhood think? Or what does my neighborhood need? Um, that, Or where are my people already participating in ministry within the neighborhood? Um, because you're not identifying, your identity is no longer based on a congregation within church activities, but uh, is actually within a congregation in a neighborhood. So um, yeah. So I, I, I think that's just kind of, it's a, and it's a slow play out. I mean, I've seen it. I've, I've seen Sean, even his own, and he, he says this in the podcast, um, but I've seen Sean even in his own life go from truly just pastoring a congregation to starting to pastor a neighborhood um, and being open to conversation. He'll say it, he's an introvert, um, but all of a sudden he's getting life when he's, having being invited to birthday parties in the neighborhood or uh, or he's being invited to a neighbor's house for dinner or he's he's having a neighbor or neighbor stop and talk because um, you know the kids are playing outside and he's mowing the lawn and they have a long conversation Um, so yeah all those things have started to change where even as an introvert he's getting life um, from pastoring neighborhood
3: so calling back to regina's story it's similar to your story i i think uh both of you kind of stepped into a ministry role where there was a building but not an established congregation is that is that fair accurate to say yes sean's is different in that he i think he said he inherited or uh Was that there's that show he joked about how Nazarene pastors shouldn't watch HBO or weren't supposed to watch HBO? Succession, there's a succession, he inherited his father's church, I suppose you could say. Um, but what do you think differentiates the subversive presence, subversive ministry approach between a Regina or a you know a Brian Wardlaw ministry approach where you have a building but no congregation? as opposed to what Sean is doing. I mean, I, there those are two different worlds, but it seems like there's there's that traditional Sunday morning based church pastor that Sean sort of is, still, but he's able to have a subversive bent. Um so what do you think the 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 big differences are going to be between those two ministries? Um it, it's I I guess I would I'll give my my thoughts on it being a formerly lead traditional pastor. Um, but I guess what I'm getting to the heart of is, it sounds like both contexts can be subversive, but like on a day-to-day basis, Sean is still beholden to some degree to the denominational emphasis of what should be happening with a semi-traditional congregation, right? I mean, it, it, is that true to yeah. some degree?
2: Yeah, and I think it plays, It's it's bigger, it's... And it, it plays into, I mean, Sean's part of our team of five city church pastors, um, and and it somewhat plays into his giftings. Um, and so he is, uh, if you do the APES stuff, uh, the just to give a recap, which is uh, apostle, prophet, shepherd, evangelist, and teacher. Um, uh He's he's a a shepherd um, teacher, and so which is the two that the traditional church in America has relied on. But that's where his giftings are. He cares for his people well. Um, Yeah, if if I was to go back, I would also say the progression for Sean from his own quirky identity to his congregation's quirky identity to his neighborhood's quirky identity is then. to then living that out uh, within his own ministry life is also starting more and more to name the ministry that his people are doing in the ministry, in the neighborhood. Uh, And that has become very important um, because the more people that are doing that and the more stories we're telling it and the ability for the leader to name those and tell those stories um, further pushes out the stories from just the identity of the congregation within church activities. Um, so, uh, yeah, and so that's uh, so within our team and the different roles of a pastor, Regina, leading a a new work in a in an, a neighborhood with a building but no congregation, um, as well as myself um, to a pastor, Sean, who is leading a congregation and leading weekly worship and Wednesday night activities and board meetings and caring for, you know, generations of families that have been a part of that church, meaning funerals, hospital visits, all that kind of stuff. Um, His, his role is different. Um, uh, And yet I would say at the foundationally it's not um we're all on the same page um and we we honor each other's gifts and different ministry roles so i think a lot of times in teams we it's easy to start going well is brian spending as much time as i am because he doesn't have to do sunday mornings and board meetings and stuff like that um and so we've we've started to name that the the new work road uh Sometimes the, sometimes the, the things we do or the hours spent are not as tangible um, and they're not as as clearly. And so we're trying to give room to those that are walking a lonely trail, <laughs>
3: like you um, and like you and Regina. You mean like, specifically? Yes,
2: yes, like Regina and I, um, and uh, and Ryan Foster. Um, I don't think we've mentioned on this podcast, but another part of the team. Um, Whereas Sean and Pastor Mark, who I don't know, we've mentioned on this as well, um, who's leading in the North congregation, uh, they are their roles, gifts, everything are within shepherding.
3: So, at the end of the day, there might be a similar goal of you know, I guess, like we could quote our own denominational mission statement of making Christ-like disciples. But the methodology, uh, I would say, as an outside observer, objective observer, you all have. M- somewhat of a more subversive approach than the typical uh Sunday morning church across the country, especially. Like if you compared any of the churches that have congregations in Seattle to like a Bible belt church, it's gonna there's gonna be lots of differences. There's gonna be, you know, just things that happen, how how things are said or done. Um not theological, you know, what we believe differences, just some praxis, some practical differences in in how things are, are gone about. But my question then is and we might have some folks that are listening and trying to then maybe they feel that that pull towards being a little more subversive. And it's possibly because they they struggle with all the institutional norms or the things we have to do that they don't get or et cetera, et cetera. You and Regina kind of as a default just get to be subversive from from day one, potentially, if you want or you don't have to be, I guess, like you. You both maybe had pressure put on you to have the traditional Sunday morning, which would have put you much more in line with an institutional norm um, or put you in line with the denomination, like approval of like, yeah, this is what church is. But uh, the, the different hurdles or obstacles between like a Sean or a Regina, um, it, it sounded like you were saying, so clarify this for me. Sound like you're saying what sean had to do was name what his people were already doing that was ministerial name what was already happening in the neighborhood and, and value it um just as much as the sunday morning gathering and that would be the work of like a traditional pastor's like there's probably already something subversive taking place maybe in your neighborhood or in the neighborhood the people the people live in but you and regina do instead is trying to find what's going on, find the heartbeat of your neighborhood, because you're, you're doing real-world exegesis of the community you live in. What Sean is doing is trying to name the congregation members in his church's subversive ministry and value it. Is that the difference that I'm hearing you talk about?
2: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a named difference. Um, maybe as, as a pastor of a congregation, you're leading leaders, um, and you're in some ways— you're releasing the priesthood of all believers, um, into the neighborhood. Um, but, uh, but we, and I think we help them come out, (laughs) um, as ministers, all believers come out as ministers, um, by telling stories that value the day-to-day things. Uh, and I think that's one of the roles, of our country. it's a little bit of what we're doing on this podcast, but also what the Seattle City Church is trying to do within a denomination in the district is tell stories of neighborhoods, of ministry in neighborhoods, um, of where uh, the kingdom is um, is being revealed, um, uh, and where there where we see heaven on earth, um, and even if we're not necessarily participating it we we see it we see it and we value it and i think the more we tell those stories then parishioners start to see i our our hope is that they start to see um the pieces of heaven on earth in their day-to-day lives and then want to participate they're drawn to that they we should be i mean if if we're christians we should be drawn to the things of the kingdom of heaven. And so when we start to see those, because they're being named from the pulpit um, week in, week out, and, and then we want to participate in them. Uh, that I think that's the natural progression. Uh, but from the pulpit, if all we're doing is naming and patting ourselves on the back um, or encouraging more of Connor Sunday morning attendance, um, even though that's it's not an either or, but um, but and but all they hear is uh, the the attendance of Sunday morning or Sunday school or budgets of the local church um, or uh, even the public displays of faith around baptism, sacraments, um, you know Eucharist things like that. Um, then that is what we're drawn to because those are being held up in front of the congregation. Um, So let's start um, holding up the stories of kingdom here on earth, heaven here on earth. So
0: what are we holding up, church? Or to hearken to this episode's name, what is it that we're paying attention to? As Sean confessed, the temptation can be that of a bigger church, with more people and money, with the best programs and the fanciest worship setups, and on and on and on it goes. The alternative, the subversive ministerial approach, looks a little bit different. It tends to forsake all of those institutional accolades, and focuses primarily on relationship and place. And while Sean's ministry doesn't look like Regina's did last week, both are an embodiment of this gospel good news, pastoring in a way that makes sense in the neighborhoods they live in. But they are not alone in the work that they do, this guerrilla ministry founded on subversive presence. Pastor Regina is not the only pastor we know that has this broad kingdom imagination Pastor Sean is not the only pastor we know that is known for this benevolent orthodoxy. In our next episode, we're going to introduce you to yet another pastor who lives here in the Pacific Northwest, doing subversive ministry. For us, their story is the perfect embodiment of our third tenet, celebrating a diverse praxis, realizing that not all pastors can pastor the exact same way, from city to city, state-to-state, coast-to-coast, that context matters, that spiritual gifting matters, and that we're better together despite our diversity. But if we try to homogenize our ministerial approach to make all pastors exactly alike, then we are failing the church of tomorrow right now. So stay tuned for that story. And thank you so much for listening and taking the time to engage with us as we do our best to share real-life examples of what this subversive presence ministry is all about. I'm your host, Josiah, and thank you so much for listening to the Gorilla Pastors Podcast.